Howdy, this is the Rage, a Story of Survival podcast, and this is episode 7, and I am your host, Dane Green. Today we're going to read chapter 7. Chapter 7. Stephanie. My mind wanders as I stare at the empty street below our apartment. A paleman breaks my concentration when he stumbles into my view. As I watch the creature wander, I think back to the first time I observed one. It may have only been a few days, but it feels like it's been much longer. My life has regained stability since the infection broke out. Despite that, I still mourn the days when I was a nurse practitioner and my life had purpose. Now, I'm not sure what to do. If we're going to be trapped inside this apartment until we starve to death, I'd rather not have made it here. Survival is not enough for me. My worries once again make me wonder how this disease functions. Aside from the obvious symptoms like the loss of melanin production, blindness, hypersalivation, and insanity, we know nothing about this disease. Nothing in my medical training was anything like this. Whatever this disease is, I'm certain that it's a weaponized virus or bacteria. It's the only thing that makes sense. This disease could have originated in nature, but it seems too refined for that to be the case. As I watch the paleman walk around the corner and out of sight, I decide it's time to go to sleep. My desire is to learn more about this disease so I can know for sure if there's a way to cure it or not. Without an infected patient to examine, though, there is very little I can do. That's why I resolve to go to bed tonight and face the problem of learning more about the disease tomorrow. On the way to the cot my husband built for us, I run across Brian. He nods, but refrains from saying anything to me. Part of me still sees Aaron and his friends as children. After hearing everything they've done and been through, I know that's not true. Aaron and his friends have done more to preserve our lives than me, my husband, or the other parents. They are so young, but somehow they're the ones who've taken on the burden of surviving. Part of me rejects their willingness to take responsibility. It should be the job of a parent to protect the child, not the other way around. Yet, I know it's too late to change anything. Seven months ago, Aaron was an adolescent, and I could dictate when he had to be home. Now, forced to grow up, he and his friends are responsible for the lives of three families. He's growing up too fast, and I wish I had some way to remove the stress from him. As I walk through the dark rooms of the apartment building, I'm careful to be silent. It takes a few minutes of weaving around the sleeping bodies, but I reach the cot my husband and I share. I find it empty, but I'm not surprised. My husband has always had his obsessions, and now patrolling our home is one of them. While I'm glad he's found something helpful to do, I wish he was around to talk more. I suppose I could always go and find him. Marcus almost never sleeps anymore, and I miss him lying next to me. Even though I long for him to be by my side, I understand why he isn't. Ever since the power first went out and he sustained his hip injury, he's had a hard time sleeping. He's always been a strong man who didn't balk at pain. Even now, I'm the only one who knows about his hip. In all honesty, he's lucky to be as functional as he is. It might be painful, but he can still walk. He'll never run again without surgery to correct his hip, but it should remain stable if he's careful with it. Thoughts blaze through my mind as I lie on my back and try to fall asleep. My consciousness drifts and I dream of my life before the power went out. When my eyes open in the morning, my dreams fade, 
and I forget them like they are a distant memory. I turn to see what disturbed my sleep, and I see my son Aaron sitting next to my cot. He looks like he's about to try waking me up. Willing my grogginess away, I sit up. Good morning, Aaron. Did you need something? Aaron jumps, startled, but recovers. Morning, Mom, and yes, I do need something. My son starts talking and catches me up on everything. His plan to gather everyone together and ask for help is good. As we wake up, my daughters and I talk about what needs to be done and help us survive in the apartments. Thinking back to last night, I remember my desire to learn more about the creatures. I decide that meeting will be a good opportunity to speak about it, so I try to imagine the best things to say. My mind is so busy during the gathering that I don't hear much of what's said. When the chance to bring forward anything else comes up, I take it. As I speak, I look at everyone. I'm not surprised to see horror and shock in many of the adults' faces. The younger members of our group surprise me when I see curiosity and even desire to help in their faces. When the gathering ends, I look around for someone to come forward and help me. Jason said he would help, but he hasn't come over to me yet. As everyone starts to leave the gathering room, I start to lose hope, thinking that Jason's family has prevented him from helping. Before I decide to leave, Jason walks up to me, followed shortly by Alexis. Relief floods me when Jason fulfills his promise to help, and I realize that his parents aren't preventing him from keeping his word. With his and Alexis's help, I should be able to move my study forward significantly. My best case scenario would be learning what causes the disease today. I'd also like to learn how to avoid and cure it. As the two volunteers walk towards me, I'd contemplate the ramifications of any discovery for our small community. Hey, sorry to make you wait. I had to, um, talk to my family. Anyway, what can I do to help you learn more about the Paleman? Before answering, I look at Alexis to see if she has anything to say. After I see that she's going to remain silent, I think about what the best thing for them to do is. To study a paleman, I'll need one, so my choice is easy. Well, I say, all I need from you two is a live paleman. Without one, I can't study what causes their symptoms. If you're willing to capture one, I'd be very grateful. Also, if you wanted to continue helping me after it's captured, I'd appreciate it. The work might be more difficult, and I can't promise that you won't be exposed to the disease. Also, since it involves blood and tissue samples, it might be a little gory. So if you don't think you can handle it, I understand. Jason looks at me, and I can see pain in his eyes. He may hate the disease, but I don't think he wants to see anything or anyone suffer more than he has to. I'd be glad to help capture one for you, but I don't think I can help you past that. I nod and tell him I understand. After the formalities, Jason tells me his plan to capture one of the infected, and I agree with it. With his task assigned, Jason leaves to fulfill it. Alexis surprises me by staying behind. Before I can ask her what she wants, she speaks. I understand that you need a patient to examine, but Jason can take care of it himself. What I want is to help you in another way. Having only one person to treat wounds is foolish. My hope is to learn from you, and I want to start today. Alexis is speaking to me so frankly it catches me off guard. 
She's not wrong. Having two people who can take care of our group's medical needs would be smart. Seeing no reason not to train her, I decide that I will. Okay. I'll teach you what I know. You need to understand, though, that it won't be easy. It took me years to learn what I know as a nurse. The best approach would be to teach you how to deal with trauma and wounds, then move on to other fields if possible. If I'm going to train you, we'll need some supplies. The supplies I need to examine our patient and the supplies to train you should be in the same place. Alexis looks at me, and I can tell that she's glad I agree. Smiling, I continue. You need to come with me to the high school. There, there should be some equipment in one of the labs. Since you went to the school, I figured you could lead me to the right lab. Also, while we're there, we can pick up some books to train you in anatomy. I want to leave as soon as possible, so why don't you gather whatever you need for the trip and meet me by the door? Alexis nods, turns, and leaves to gather her things. Not wanting to make her wait, I start gathering things for the trip, too. I'm so busy that when my daughter Melanie taps my shoulder, it startles me. Hey, Mom. Sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to ask if it's okay to go with Aaron to the store. Dad already said it would be fine. At first, I'm hesitant, but I force myself to remember that things are different now. A few months ago, I would have been upset if Melanie asked to do something this dangerous. Now I realize that danger is a part of our lives. Despite what I know, I have to let her go. Saying no would make other families less willing to let their own children help the group. Plus, she would probably go anyway. In the world we live in now, my daughter is an adult. Childhood is a luxury, and with our world destroyed, I don't think anyone can afford it. It's fine if you go, I say. Be careful. Aaron will do his best to take care of you, but make sure you keep him from doing anything too dangerous. My daughter smiles and laughs. It's good to see her happy, but I do worry about them getting into trouble. All I can do, though, is trust that she understands the risk of going outside. Mom, don't worry. I'll be able to take care of myself. I promise we'll be as safe as possible out there. We all know better than to risk ourselves unless we have to. Melanie's words call me, and I find my worry dissolving as I hug her goodbye. They'll be in the back of my mind until they return, but I trust them to stay safe. I grab a sweater and put it into my bag, then throw the bag across my back. The bag has far more supplies than I'll need for the trip, but I'd rather be overprepared than underprepared. Alexis surprises me by meeting me by my bed. I suppose she finished packing before I did. She checks to see if I'm ready, and after telling her that I am, we head out of the apartment together. We walk through our now-empty town, and as we do, I look at the vacant windows and abandoned streets, trying to ignore the bodies. It's only been a little while, and already the town has decayed so much. Without people to maintain it, how much longer will it last? The water towers won't hold forever, so I make a mental note to set up some rain traps on the roof this week. Silencing my mind, I focus on making it through our abandoned city. We managed to make it to the school unmolested by any palemen. After climbing through a broken window, Alexis takes the lead and guides me to what I presume will be the chemistry lab. As we go through the halls, I remember my own time in high school, and I feel a pang of guilt and pain. My children will never again go to school. There's no way they can have an easy, safe life anymore. Alexis stops and points to a door. The lab is through these doors. She whispers, 
but there's a palement in there. Making my way to the door, I look through the glass that's at the top. Inside the classroom, I see several microscopes and books we could use. There's also a paleman standing by an open window. He seems to be static and almost calm. When I look at him, it's almost as if he's watching something outside in the field across from the classroom. Since the paleman appears still, I decide it's worth the risk of going inside. Putting my finger to my mouth, I signal Alexis to be silent, and she nods. We open the door and sneak through. Weaving my way through the lab, I head to the nearest microscope. Before leaving the apartments, I told Alexis her priority would be finding anatomy, chemistry, and if she could, pharmacology textbooks. So she heads towards a bookcase. When I reach the microscope, I examine it. As I look over it, I see that it's a manual microscope, not a digital one. This is what I need. I pick the tool off the table and place it into my bag. Realizing I'll also need clean slides for the microscope, I look around for some more and find a small box full of them under the table. As I slide them into my bag, I'm startled by a loud and continuous scream. The noise is disturbing and it raises the hairs on the back of my neck. Without thinking, I look around for the source of the noise, forcing myself to stay calm. I see the paleman at the window. He's leaning out of it and screaming in an unearthly wail. Alexis catches my eye and I can see that it's time for us to leave. Before I can even start to turn around, the paleman turns towards me. His face has a sickening smile on it and blood drips from the corner of his mouth. As I watch in horror, the previously empty field across from the school starts to fill with palemen. In horror, I realize that the scream the paleman in front of me issued was a call. There's more to this disease than I understand, but I know we have to leave now. As I'm about to scream for Alexis to run, I see her darting towards the paleman. I'm frozen with fear and unable to move. Alexis grabs a stray beaker and throws it at the creature's face, and it shatters in his eyes. The paleman doesn't even flinch. Unaffected, Alexis picks up a chair and swings it at the creature. The chair strikes the paleman and knocks him back against the window. I understand now what she's trying to do, and my muscles unfreeze as I realize that I have to help her. Running forward, I grab a chair. Together, we beat back the paleman and try and force him over the window's edge. As I swing the chair, I see the creature's face up close. Because of my husband's job as a pastor, I've seen dozens of dead people. Their face always looks empty and soulless. As I stare into the crazed eyes of the man in front of me, I recognize a look of death. Whatever this disease has done to its victim, there is no longer a soul in charge. Only pure madness remains, and it terrifies me. Tears fall from my eyes as I swing desperately to kill the creature in front of me. Finally, Alexis connects and the creature stumbles back and loses its balance. Time slows as I watch it fall. Its eyes meet mine as it hits the ground. The beast's head hits the ground last, and it cracks open. All I can do is stand and look at the dead man. I should feel guilty for what I've done, but all I can feel is relief that it's dead. Alexis pulls me from my shock when she shakes me and screams, We need to go now! My gaze shifts to the outside of the school. The formerly empty field and the schoolyard now have dozens of palemen. Alexis looks at me and I nod, pulling myself together. 
We run from the room and through the school halls. We go to the window we came through and are lucky to find it free of any immediate danger. Even when we are outside, we run, desperate to get as far away from the school as possible. Only when we are far away and out of breath do we stop. What the hell was that thing? Alexis says between gasps of air. Taking a minute for my breath to catch up, I think of what to tell her. It must be a variation of the disease. Of course, it's hard to tell, but I think that it was able to call to the other infected and bring them to it. Finishing a study of these people is even more important now. Alexis agrees with me, and we make our way to the apartment. When we arrive, we find that Jason has successfully captured a paleman. With his help, we tie it to a table in the basement. Since Jason managed to knock the creature unconscious, it doesn't struggle. Once we secure the creature to my makeshift examination table, I confirm what I already know. The patient is unresponsive to light and has irregular eye and skin color. Alexis stands behind me taking notes. Without better machinery, I can only guess that the skin and eyes are affected by a melanin deficiency. This alone suggests that the disease affects the brainstem. The medulla and other parts of the brainstem are likely the targets of the disease. Checking the creature's pulse, I find it lower than expected. Patient's lowered heart rate also suggests a brainstem infection. As I say this, the creature starts to wake up. Being cautious, I step back and decide to watch its response. As it wakes up, it starts to struggle. I inch forward and re-examine its vitals, finding the heart rate low. As I finish taking the vitals, I hear a loud snap, so I immediately stop what I'm doing and jump back. Looking to the source of the snap, I see that the paleman has broken its own arm with the strain of trying to escape. The bone is exposed and blood leaks out as he continues to struggle. If I don't stop the bleeding, he'll die in 10 or 20 minutes. There's no way for me to put this creature back to sleep or end its pain. Knowing there's nothing I can do, I force the guilt and pain away and continue my examinations. Patient shows elevated strength and loss of protective motor function, as well as total disregard for pain. These symptoms would suggest a raised level of adrenals that would also suggest brainstem as the site of infection. Stephanie, does it need to be alive? Alexis's question startles me. I understand why she's asking me. Seeing this creature moving around and trying to escape, uncaring of the wound to its arm, is unnerving. No, not at this point but I'll need to examine its brain, so we can't shoot it. Also, I have no anesthetics or means to kill it. Alexis nods, and without another word, she pulls out a hunting knife. I'm not sure where she got it from or what she intends to do with it. As I watch, Alexis walks up to the creature and puts the knife to its chest, right above the heart. Before I can say anything, she plunges the knife into its ribcage, and I watch as the creature bleeds out. Alexis's willingness to kill the creature shocks me, but I'm thankful for it. Without pausing, I grab some microscope slides and get six samples of blood. Two of my own blood and four of the creature's. Two of which come from its arm, while the other two come from its mouth. Alexis, while I'm examining these blood slides, please go get a slide of blood from the dog. Don't worry, I'll tell you what I find when you come back. Alexis nods and goes to do the task I asked of her. 
Every minute the creature is dead is another minute of decay, so I work fast. It isn't long before I make up the slides and mix some of the samples. When I look at the first slide, I see unmixed blood from the paleman's arm. It is then that I determine that the disease is a bacterial infection. From what I can see on this slide, the bacteria in the blood is dead or inactive. To confirm this, I look at a slide that is a mix of my blood and the creature's arm blood. Sure enough, the infection isn't attacking my blood cells. The second set of samples is the mixture of blood from the creature's gums and our blood. Aaron told me about the bite wounds and how they transfer infections. What I see confirms this. The blood sample from the creature's mouth is rife with active bacteria. This shocks me. The infection takes over my blood in less than a minute. If you're bitten, there's nothing you could do except immediate amputation, and even that might not work. As I finish up with these slides, Alexis comes back into the room, and I immediately take the blood sample from the dog and mix it with the infectious blood. When I study it, I find that the bacterium doesn't attack the dog's blood. That, at least, is a relief. While looking at this, I catch Alexis up on what I found, and she listens. At the end, she asks me, Can't we cure it, then? All you need to get rid of bacteria is an antibiotic, right? She isn't wrong. Antibiotics can help the body fight off a bacterial infection, but I'm not sure the person would be cured after the bacterium subsides. Well, it's more complicated than that. You might be able to fight off the disease with a massive dose of antibiotics. If they do any brain damage before the infection is through, there's no fixing that. So, the people who are already infected have very little chance of recovery. Alexis looks at me, and I can tell she isn't surprised. So, what do we do now? Autopsy. But, first let's allow the bacterium to die out. It shouldn't take long. I reply. As we wait, we go over the information we've learned and check over the paleman's body several times. After we triple-check the blood in the gums to make sure the bacterium is dead, I start my autopsy. Without proper tools, the procedure is bloody. Despite this, I do manage to extract the brain and other organs undamaged. All the organs, aside from the adrenal gland, are the proper size. The adrenal gland is swollen to about three times its normal size, which suggests a slow, continuous release of adrenals into the creatures. This would explain some of their heightened senses and the strength. The brain is where the damage is clearest. Most of the brain remains untouched and appears normal. Only when I look at the brain stem does the damage become clear. It's black and decayed. Alexis looks at me when we see this, and I can tell that she thinks the same thing I do. There's no cure. There's no survival. If you're infected, you're dead. Our only hope now is that these creatures die before we do. This has been episode 7 of the Rage Story of Survival podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next week. Hey, you still with me? If you listen this far into the podcast, you must have enjoyed my content. If you enjoy my work and what I am doing here, you should check out the bonus episode of this series. It is the intro to the next book I am writing, If you want to learn more, you should come listen to it and check it out.